You're listening to the chronicles of young professional 30-somethings navigating life, love, work, and politics. It's Breaking Bread Takeover, hosted by Jocelyn, Tanya, and Natalie, presented by Goodstock Consulting. Hey guys, welcome to the B Word Unpacked Takeover podcast. We're back for our second season. We have a lot in store for you. We're totally ready to unpack, um, deep dive into a lot of great topics and a lot of great things. So stay tuned. Um, enjoy the ride. Um, I'm Jocelyn Reddix. Hi, I'm Natalie Ocean. I'm Tanya Soraya, and we have the lovely Katrina Brown here today. And maybe Jocelyn, can you can give a little bit of introduction on why she's here. No, you don't want to? Okay, never mind. Katrina, you can take it away and say who you are. Katrina can introduce herself, honey. She got it. Um, So my name is Katrina Brown. I am a school counselor based in New York, uh, well, in New York City, um, in the public school system. Um, I'm here because my cousin and I, Jocelyn, have been having a lot of conversations about the transition um, out of the pandemic, back into schools, back into work. So I guess she felt like I would be a pretty good person to kind of share my thoughts and opinions on um, those things. So I'm just excited to be here with you ladies and let's have some fun. Awesome. Um, really quick, I hope you guys don't mind if I start off. I'm just curious, Katrina, what age groups do you work with in the school system? So I currently... Um, um, and the ninth grade counselor at a high school out in Queens. Um, but I've been in education for the last uh, 11 years. Um, <laughs> I started my I started my career um, working as a secretary, school aide, para, all the steps that you take before you become a school counselor. But in all those roles, I feel like the things that I've learned have connected to where I am now, um, definitely started off working with overage, undercredited students, so like 17 to 21, and now I'm working with 14-year-olds, so I'm like reverting and working with a population that I've never really worked with before, so just trying to understand that nuance and change in demographic and dynamic has been very, very challenging on top of um a pandemic in an ever-changing world. So it's been really hectic since September. September 2021, you mean? Yeah, September 2021 um, is when I officially started as a school counselor. I know, I'm like, the psychologist in me is like, well, just how are you? Like, how are you doing? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm making it. Um, I mean, every day I literally work uh, emotionally fatigued. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll have all this adrenaline, I'll have all this energy. And then the minute I step out of the work, uh, the building, I'm just like, well, damn, like that was a tow truck that hit me today. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a lot, but I've also been trying to just be mindful of my self-care and trying to just make sure I'm all right. Um, and, you know, not become a borderline alcoholic because, you know, I'll come home and I want to drink a bottle of wine, but I can't. So, um, <laughs> so I'll do a glass or two, and you know, just to unwind. But um, 
it's a lot and it's hard. And thank you for asking me how I'm doing because you never get asked how you're doing as a staff member. You're always worried about, well, how are the kids doing? And it's like, if I don't, if I'm not okay, I can't show up for the students that I service. So if I'm not okay, they're not okay. So the school's not okay. So I actually appreciate you asking me, you know, how am I? I'm literally like today, I was rushing to get home um, because I had left work at 4.30. Um, I wanted to come home and grab something to eat because I hadn't eaten all day because um, uh, the semester ended last month. So we're doing like Saturday school transcript reviews and we're getting ready for summer school and we're doing a promotion and doubt. And I'm just going and going and going. Um, and I looked up and it was 3.30 and I hadn't eaten. So I, I was like, let me get home. And literally at like maybe maybe 10 minutes ago like I scarfed down some ZD and you know some grape ginger ale and so yeah so well that. we can make this like as comfortable as possible <laughs> like I wish we could send you snacks and like as much ginger ale as you needed so that this can be centered around you and your experience <laughs> thank you um so I guess I have a question about like, what do you think is the correlation between the current uh, demographic or the current um, situation of students and where they're going to be likely a year from now? Because I know we've talked about that a lot about like where they were two years ago, a year ago currently, and then in the future. So like, what do you think that it is that we need to do or individuals need to do or the students need to do pretty much to kind of grasp the transition that they have all gone through throughout this transition of the pandemic. So first we have to acknowledge that these students are coming in at a deficit. So okay. that's the first thing that we have to acknowledge. If we don't acknowledge the deficit, then there's no way that we can help and support these students. So it's acknowledging the deficit and then bridging the gap between the deficit and where I need you to be, right? Um, so prime example, um, I've had the task, had I've had a tough time with explaining to teachers and other staff members, deans and those that keep the building safe, um, trying to explain to them and make them understand, like, so for my grade specifically, ninth grade, in September, we were dealing with seventh graders because here's the reality. The reality is the last time that these kids sat in a building in a school building or setting was in the seventh grade and really not even the full seventh grade because they were pulled out of school in March of 2020, right? So they the, the last full structured experience that they've had in school was seventh grade. So even though their transcript and their report card and their identification says that they're ninth grade, they're their academic capacity, their behavior levels, and all social engagements are all those of seventh graders. So mm -hmm. we have to give them a time to make that adjustment period from being seventh graders to at least being fully functioning graduated eighth graders before we could even expect them to show up as, as ninth graders. So I feel that as they've been having interactions and, and learning and being with each other, I feel like now we're coming into them understanding the seriousness of high school, even though it's March, um, and even though it's late, um, 
they've just come to the realization that I'm in high school, that I can't do and I can't get away with the things that I, you know, used to do when I was in middle school. But I had it, but it took me and I spent a lot of time with my colleagues just explaining to them and expressing to them. They're like, what's wrong with these ninth graders? I'm like, they're not ninth graders. They're seventh graders. They're not ninth graders. They're they're legit seventh graders. There are a bunch of 11-year-olds running around in here. Even though they're 14 and 15, they're 11. With all this freedom, with all this space, with all this opportunity. I said, they didn't get the eighth grade year that they're able to develop those social skills, those emotional skills, those behavioral skills to then now come into a high school setting and be able to make friends, be able to sit through class. And then also, let's go back one step too. They've been sitting in front of a computer for the last year and a half or laying in their bed or sitting in their couch or playing the video game while they're sitting in this class while, while you're on the computer screen teaching a lesson. So now you want these, these students who have been in a home for over 18 months to now come and sit in your classroom and be well-behaved boys and girls. Mm -hmm. Or attentive or engaging, right. When they've spent the last 18 months at home doing whatever, however, wherever, wearing whatever, and like I always use this phrase with Jocelyn, I know this word with Jocelyn. Um, we have to be able to give grace. Mm-hmm. If we're not able to give grace and give grace gracefully, we're going to be in trouble. And I'm not only just giving grace to our students, but also giving grace to our colleagues, right? Because a lot of us, we're still adjusting because we would teach first, second, 10 o'clock, you got your break, you go turn your computer off. You might go lay back in the bed, get back up. You've been walking around with sweatpants on all year. Now you got to get back in the rhythm of this and that and that. And so you're not, um, you're not fully there. And then we're also being politically polarized with all the media and all the other things. So now you're coming back with even more things on top of pandemic stuff. So we're just all a mess. So if we're not willing to give each other grace, then we're really not going to be able to help or do anything for anyone. That's why educators are leaving education at such a quick pace because higher ups and the people that have been placed in charge are not acknowledging that we're all serving at a deficit, even as leadership. Leadership is serving at a deficit. Right. So if we don't acknowledge and realize that we're all serving at a deficit, we've never been here before. We've never had to be educators or lead or teach or do anything in a pandemic. The last time there was a pandemic was 100 years ago. And most of us, none of us was alive for that. So um, you understand what I'm saying? So there is no guidebook. There is no rule book. There is no tool book that can teach us how to live through the space outside of just living it and learning from it and being patient with ourselves and with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those are those are really good points, um, especially when you talk about the deficits that both the students and the staff are facing. And I already know the answer to the question that I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to ask it for the sake of the audience um, hearing you speak to it directly. But do you feel like you have 
or you have access to adequate resources internally to kind of make up for those deficits that you're seeing, whether it's for how you um, respond or are attentive to the students or with the things that you need as a, as a team or a staff member, or, and um, in addition to that question, are there any resources that you've seen either newly implemented or that you've seen that maybe in your first couple of months or first year working in the role that you're in now that you've been really glad to see that they already had in place? So one, do you feel like you have adequate resources? And two, is there anything that actually is working really well that you're proud of and within the facility? Hmm. There's never enough resources in education. That's yep. just the bottom line. Edu- education will never have enough resources. Education will never have the resources that it needs to fully function and work properly. That's just the bottom line. Like I was just reading an article maybe over the break um, because we just came back from once a break here in New York um, that our mayor intends to take $375 million from education over the next three years. So there's never, (laughs) the education never has enough money. Um, But what I will say is that in New York City, something that they have implemented, and I don't know um, if you guys are familiar with it, but the Devereaux, um, it's like a it's a assessment that teachers um, take of their students. So they're they're given their class list of thirty, and there's like forty questions that the teachers have to answer about each student specifically about where do they think that these students um, fall into certain categories. And then based off of the teacher's responses, we're able to take that data and then do what is called social emotional learning competencies. And so within those competencies, there are eight of them. Um, There's social awareness, self-awareness, self-management, goal-directed behavior, relationship skills. um, And there's three other that are escaping me right now. But personal responsibility and like two others I can't think of them right now and so what we're what we were supposed to do with that data is then take that information and any student that scored like but like below a 40 they were students that were like in need of some form of social emotional um experience way larger than what the entire school community needed. And then there were like some kids that kind of just fell in the middle that they needed a little bit of extra support, but they didn't need as much as like the individualized personal like one-on-one experience. And then there were things that we were supposed to do as a school overall to kind of um, work through the social emotional pieces. Um, so the guidance team had been kind of tasked with like leading that whole, um, initiative and things of that nature. So what we have done as a team is that we took our caseloads, we reviewed the data, we created groups. Um, so actually starting this month, we'll be running several groups for the different social emotional competencies that we're supposed to cover. So there's going to be a group on relationship skills. There's going to be a group on goal-directed behavior. There's going to be a um, a group on low motivation, you know, having better behavior, things of that nature. So as a team, we're going to actually start implementing that come like the end of the month, and we'll see how that goes, kind of pilot it out, and see if that's something that we want to take into the next school year. So I think that that's been really cool. Um, I'm kind of glad that I've been able to be like a spearhead um, lead 
of that initiative um, within my specific department. So that's been really exciting as a newbie um, and just being new to the team and kind of learning school dynamics and things of that nature to be a part of that initiative has been really a good experience for me. Yeah, because I was um, I was wondering as you were speaking, especially when you mentioned the assessment um, in my mind, I was thinking around like, dang, how do you prioritize all of these things? Like, how do you determine where, like, do you talk, do you, you know, address the student's academic needs first or do you address their social needs or, you know, just their relational needs? And it's it's great that you all have a tool that you're utilizing to first just see where each of the students place and then be able to determine what, you know, what needs to be done for each of their circumstances. So it's not just like a one size fit all solution, even though sometimes it may be, you know, maybe put in a position where you feel like that because you don't have everything you need to be able to touch each student the way they need support and care. Um, But yeah, it's great that there's, that there are assessments like that being implemented Um, because, you know, these students have gone through a lot, like you mentioned, from being virtual and kind of being in the quote unquote comfort of their homes, which many, many students may not have had that, you know, maybe home wasn't really their place of comfort or support or safety. And that's what school was. So even transitioning back into, uh, um, you know, uh, their safe environment where they have maybe more consistency in their meals or consistency in someone just checking on them. Um, I can, I know that that's a lot both ways, both on the students and on you all to be able to identify how you want to, you know, or how you need to um, address and prioritize what needs or what resources you need to put towards them. Yeah. And, and I'll just say to um, to your point is that um, grades are usually the last indicator that there's something wrong, um, because if you think about it, you get your grades in a semester three times. So by the time I see your grades, it's too late. The grades are the, are the are the last indicator of when a student is struggling or when a student is not doing well. That's the last indicator. The first indicator is when a student walks into your classroom and they just want to sit in the back and they shut down. Mm-hmm. Or you, you know they're on your roster and they walk right by your classroom. That's the first indicator, which is the social indicator, in my opinion, and the relational indicator. Because it's showing that before you, I even come do any work in your classroom, there's something already wrong. Like there are many students who walk in the classrooms and if you're an observant educator, you know right off the bat, this was not having a good day. I'm pretty sure, uh, Tanya, that when you have, uh, you know, students walk into your classroom, I, you teach, right? I'm, am I making that up? <laughs> I have, but I'm not teaching. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, like you could, you know, when when students walk into your classroom, like the first indicator you see is that like they're not having a good day. So, you know, that I need to either address that or I need to definitely let somebody know that this person not having um, a good day. And what I appreciate that some teachers, they do reach out to me immediately and they say, so-and-so walked right by my class today. And could you speak to them and find out what's going on? And I say, well, before I speak to them, how about you reach out and call home and see what what mom and dad or auntie or big sister has to say first. And then if I need to step in, then I'll step in because maybe there's something that is happening at home that maybe needs you to address as a teacher versus me. So sometimes that's also like the, uh, that's also the, the approach that I like to take. It's like grades are the final indicator that something is happening you know your attendance you showing up how you show up to class to me that's the first indicator of when there's a problem 
Well, thank you for sharing all this. Um, I have a question because um, you talked a lot about it from the, the organizational perspective, the school perspective, the, um, the educator perspective, but is there anything that the students are saying that they need? Like when they're coming in and talking to you or they're talking to the teacher, they're talking to the administrator, is there anything that the students are saying collectively that they need in order to be successful or transition from one phase to another? Yeah, great question. Um, they're really just saying that they they need to be heard. They need to be heard. They need to feel like they're partners and they're a part of their own education. Um, they have said that, you know, they feel like no one listens, that they feel like nobody cares. Um, and to show that, you know, you are listening and that you that you do care and not just caring superficially, but actually taking a vested interest in what, you know, their students are feeling. And then also, what do I connect to here at the school, right? Because when I first started, a lot of the issues that my ninth graders were having was that they didn't have any friends, that nobody likes them. But did you speak to anybody? Did you try? Like, you all are new. Don't nobody don't know nobody. So the worst that could, that could happen is I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. Not so much. I don't want to be your friend, but I don't want to talk to you, you know? And so if you're in a lunchroom with 500 other people, I doubt that you're the only person in that space that's feeling that way. And so a lot of them said that they were feeling alone and that, you know, they didn't have any friends and that they weren't liked and, you know, that people just don't understand them and that, you know, people just don't get them. Um, so, you know, just taking time to sit back and say, I hear you, I'll, I'll listen to you. So that was like what I spent a lot of the first three months doing, just really sitting down and listening, um, to what I was, you know, hearing, um, you know, a few of them, they were going through the, you know, the sexual curiosity, right. They didn't really know what they identified as. They didn't, you know, they like girls, but they knew they couldn't go home and tell their mom that they like girls. Cause then their mom going, you know, send them to church and have the pastor pray over them and pull holy oil all over them and tell them that. Are these, are these are, were these girls that like girls or? Yeah. These are girls okay. that like, gotcha. mm-hmm. okay. um, you know, or acknowledging that, you know, I'm struggling, you know, with, reading and so you know you call home and you tell mom like this student struggling with reading they're not really understanding oh they don't need IEP they don't there's nothing wrong with them it's like you're not hearing what I'm saying to I'm saying your child is saying that when they study or when they read and however they study and however they read is how they study and read you cannot dictate whether or not they studied or they read read because you don't know their learning style oh they don't apply themselves they don't try but they're telling you that I'm trying, right? So a lot of what I've been hearing is that they're not being heard. Okay. And so that's been a big, that's been a big thing of just trying to be an ear and listening to um, students. I'll make a, I'll make a quick um, connection story that happened to me today. Um, had a kid, he wasn't going to class at all. He wasn't going to class. He was a whole walker galore. He would be in school every day. He would come to school every day and walk the halls, just walk, walk the halls. Okay. The deans knew him, the school safety office, everybody knew him in the hallway for being just that, the person that was in the hallway. 
sent a letter home, told mom that his promotion is going to be in doubt. He's going to repeat the ninth grade. This in January. So you know he wasn't doing nothing. If I'm sending home a letter in January saying, like, he's going to repeat the ninth grade. So mom comes up. Mom doesn't really speak um, English. So mom brings a sister. Sister's translating. So I said, look, I'm going to work with your son. Um, you know, you guys are a good family. I'm going to work with him. So we have this thing called success sheet. So I said, every day he's going to come. They're going to come see me. They're going to get the success sheet. We're going to have some check-ins daily. I said, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go to four classes. So they have seven classes on their schedule, including lunch. So they have a, um, a they have an eight period day. I said, I need you to go to four classes. That's it. I said, I need you to go to a little bit more than uh, one more than half of your schedule. So first day he went to four classes. He was excited. I said, I'm so proud of you. Giving him reassurance, like letting him know you could do this. So then I said, the next week, this goes to goal goal setting, right? So I was like, this week your goal is to go to four classes. So you're going to go to these four classes. If you go to these four classes, I know we're going to be able to get you to five. So he was going, He, we got him to go into six classes. So this was like this week. Now, So now he's in six classes, going to six classes. Yesterday he had a little bit of a, of a bad day. Um, didn't really go to class too much, but got caught in the hallway. So got a phone call home. And so because of his reputation, because that's what he was known as being a home walker, you know, once they finally got a parent on the phone, they decided to like unload all this stuff. So he goes home, um, mom's yelling at him, I'm taking you out of school, yada, yada, yada. Um, he comes to school today, he's like, Miss Brown, like, yo, I'm just not even gonna do it. Like, she gonna take me out anyway. Like, they don't call home and tell on me anyway. So I'm, not, I'm like, nope. But that's what we're not going to do. I said, we're going to keep on doing what we plan. We're going to stick to the plan, right? I said, because sometimes it takes people a little bit longer to see when you're doing when you're doing good, when you're trying your best, when you're trying your hardest. Giving grace, right? This is me giving grace, right? No, you're not. You're not going to quit. I know you could do it. You, you already showed me you could do it. We're going to keep on going. So um, we do a check-in with mom. He goes to class. So... His sister calls me later on in the day. She's like, so my mother wanted me to call you because I want to take, she wants to take him out of school. I said, look, I said, let's be real. He wasn't doing anything before. I said, he's going to class. I said, every day he takes home this piece of paper to your mother and she it shows her that he's going to these classes. I was like, so I don't understand how do we make the connection between he's walking the halls, but five teachers said that he was in class. So maybe he might he might have been in the hallway for two periods. Okay, he wasn't going to nothing. So before we go ahead and just snatch him out, let's wait a second. Like let's hold up, let's pump our brakes. And first of all, let's see the first report card. I'm like, because we we going from not passing nothing to possibly passing three. We making progress. It's not big progress, but it's pro it's big progress to him. It's it's big progress to him because he wasn't able to pass nothing. So if he passes three, we going we going to celebrate that thing. And she's like, no, I hear you, but you know, she just wants him. I said, go home and talk to your mother. Like, just go home and talk to your mother. So we'll see what happens tomorrow and when he comes in. But I'm just like, like, you can't give up on people just, you know, because you're tired or, or you're fed up. Like, like I going back to what we talked about, like, this is a new world we're in, you know, coming from being at home, you know, to now having to be sit, having to sit in class and you know, do all those things. It's just hard. It's just hard. And giving grace 
when sometimes you feel like grace isn't deserved is the biggest part for me as just a person. Forget an educator, like just as a, as a human being, you know? Right. I just, yeah. I get, con- I'm confused because like take them out of school and do what? But then maybe that's another conversation for another day. Put him in another school. <laughs> uh, but go ahead, Nat. I have I have one um final question, but now if you wanna Yeah, so um I also have experience teaching, but not in the academic sense. So I teach dance, but I haven't taught at all during the pandemic. And I always and I also teach a much younger group um mm-hmm. of students than high schoolers. And I know high school, that's a that's a challenging age. Um, but I'm wondering for your perspective and also like to your point you, that you mentioned earlier, where you said the first time that something may be going wrong or where a student may be struggling is by their behavior or them kind of pulling back on a track. And I agree. I saw a lot of that in dance because when you're physically lining the students up to do something and you see one person always in the back corner, then you know that there's something that's that's going on there. And also, like, I think it's um, it's really important. I think you mentioned this as well, that you listen to what they're actually telling you and not making assumptions of, of what's going on because I've had students come up to me and tell me like, oh, I feel so smart in your class, but so-and-so's class makes me feel dumb. I'm like, this is dance. Like, why are you feeling dumb or, you know what I mean? Like that that shouldn't be the dynamic that's happening here. This should be fun. Yes, there's structure and there's discipline that needs to happen because you're here to pay attention and there's, you know, rules around that, but you shouldn't be feeling dumb in a class that's supposed to be fun and supposed to be, you know, in, in addition to what you're doing in school. And so my question for you is, especially when you're creating boundaries with the students, because at high school age, that's when you start to get kind of buddy-buddy with your teachers or your counselors, but also you want to remain firm with them and kind of make sure that they understand what the rules and regulations are. So how do you find that balance, especially in giving grace um, to being friendly, so to speak, with the students versus being their superior or being the, you know, the person that's in charge of their response, you know, them while they're in the school setting? So, and that's a great question, Natalie, because I think that a lot of people struggle with that, especially in my profession, on how to be relatable, but be respected. And I think that's the fine line, right? You be you, you have to be relatable, but you have to be respected. And um, the way you gain respect from students is you build relationships right? So building relationship doesn't mean, you know, you come in, you know, every period you just come and sitting in my office and, and we cut in or whatever, whatever. But building relationship is in those moments, having those conversations, you could come and speak to me about anything. You know, I'm here to listen to you. I'm a listening ear, but I'm going to be clear that when I need to get you, I'm going to get you, you know? Um, and so once you develop those being relatable, but being respected, I think that that takes you a lot farther and that takes you, and that helps you, you know, have those uh, niceties in relationship, but also um, you don't run in the risk of, like nobody's gonna walk in, in my office and ever call me Katrina. Like that's just, if you ain't, we not, we not friends. And and I'm very, I'm we, I'm be the coolest, you know, guidance counselor. We order Jordans, you know, all the good stuff. We, 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 we could talk, you know, music. We could talk sneakers. We could talk video games. But what you ain't going to do is come in here and call me Katrina, right? You're going to call me Miss Brown because there's a line. And you that- actually said Miss Brown when I introduced you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we be friends, Tanya. That's different. We friends. 
Yeah, but you know, it's 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 just in the little things. Um, it's in the tone that you use when you say certain things. It's, and then it's also just in how you carry yourself, right? If you carry yourself with high posture, you carry yourself well dressed, clean, you know, looking respectable. And I'm and when I say looking respectable, looking respectable could be the the biggest afro, but your afro neat. You you I this is I wore this sweatshirt to work today with a pair of slacks and a pair of Ugg boots. Like I wore this sweatshirt to work. So it's about how you just show up. And if you show up like you care about yourself, if you show up and show students and show people that she takes pride in how she looks, she takes pride in, in who she is. When she walks in a room, you know, when, when she's walking down the hallway, you know, you know, just holding that level of, of command of self and then also just being aware of who you are, right? Because it's not about the student. It's, it's not about the student. It's about who you are as a person knowing what you bring to the table. So you can you can have whatever type of relationship with, with a student, but if you don't know who you are and if you don't know what you are here to do, it's very easy to get caught up in, well, I just want to be the, I just want to be the staff member that's liked. I just want to be the staff member that gets to hang out with all the kids. But no, I'm here to help you. It's cool if you like me, but I'm here to help you. Liking me is just an additional layer to this. Because when I have to call home on you, I don't care if you don't like me no more. When I have to have those hard conversations about you failing classes, I don't care that you don't like me no more. Because I have I have a bigger investment. I have a bigger job than worrying about your like but what you are going to do is you are going to respect me because i'm going to treat you with respect and i'm going to respect you preach yeah <laughs> i'm about to say jesus goddamn hello yeah i was like we need like little sound effects in this look i i wrote a quote down good girl okay what quote you write down i wrote it's about who you are knowing what you bring to the table Hmm. I see that one really fitting for you too, especially. <laughs> well, we related, so you know. <laughs> now you had a question, I think, right? Or was Not it Jocelyn? It was Jocelyn. Okay, yeah, my bad. Tanya, do you have anything? Um, I'm taking it in, so you go first. Okay, so I just wanted to, um, you know, as we wrap up, just to see like if there's any advice that you would give to people in your position or parents that are similar to those of the students that you work with um, or listeners, if there's any advice that you would give um, to those individuals as relates to all that we've talked about. Um, So I'm going to go back to my opening, being able to give grace and giving grace doesn't mean that you allow somebody to walk all over you. It doesn't mean that you allow bad behavior to go um, unchecked but it's about how you check the bad behavior. It's about saying, okay, you cut class today. I I get it, I understand, but this can't be a constant thing. This can't be an ongoing thing versus you cut class today, I'm gonna take your phone away. You are not gonna get that spot. Like, like, you know, you cut class once, like, come on. That's me me some days. If there's days where you just, Today just wasn't the day you felt it. Okay, cool. But what we're not going to do is like, we're not going to make this an ongoing thing. And then, okay, so you did it again. Okay, 
what now we need to get to the bottom of why, right? So after we give grace, get into the bottom of why, because I think that that's what where a lot of people fail. We fail to communicate to get to the why, right? We just want to retaliate. We just want to punish. We just want to yell. We want to scream, but we refuse to communicate. And a lot of times, you know, adults, we feel like we don't have to communicate with children. And children are the only pe- persons or people or it, humans, individuals that can tell us what they're feeling, right? Yes, we are here to guide them, mold them, direct them, give them the, you know, give them the guidebook, but we're also supposed to let, we're also supposed to let them go and figure it out. And if they get off course, we help push them back along the way. But what we don't do is we don't, we don't scar them from veering off and making choices and and being self-sufficient humans by yelling at them for every bad decision or mistake that they make, right? But no, I'm not saying that bad behavior should go unchecked. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that being able to communicate and giving opportunities for space and growth, right? So my mother, she, you know, it wasn't until I became like a teenager where we were able to really have those conversations about, you know, shout out to Aunt Egg. <laughs> we were able to have those conversations, um, you know, just about things, right? Because in her mind, I'd rather it come from me then it come from another source and now you're confused, right? And if you have questions, I want you to be able to come to me with those questions versus going outside and getting the answers to those questions. And those answers may be wrong. And especially, I don't want you getting them answers from your friends, right? Um, so it's about being able to communicate um, with you know, your children, right? But I mean, if you can't communicate with your partner, then you can't communicate with your child. But that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day that we ain't here for. Um, but <laughs> giving grace and communication. And kind of in that vein, Katrina, I mean, first, thank you for all that you're saying. Like, I can see and I'm sure Nat and Joss agree that you're just so passionate yes. about this. Like, that even though you didn't eat till 3.30, you really seem to love what you do. <laughs> I do. And I feel like, I, I mean, I, it, it makes me like full of good emotion to be like, I'm so happy these kids have you yes. because you're, you're playing this role of like an advocate and a middleman between teachers and students, parents and students, systems and students. And that, that is a hard place to be. It, it doesn't, it requires thick skin is my hunch from what you've said. Um, And I feel like what you're saying is like, you know, instead of this obsession with productivity and grades and output, like, can we be compassionate to kids in schools right now and to ourselves, which is hard in our kind of society. And so I'm going to kind of flip that for a sec. And you mentioned that, you know, you really have to take care of yourself. And we say those things, but sometimes we don't translate them to what it actually means. So I, I'm curious if you're willing to share with people who are listening, what, what does that look like for you? So what it looks like for me, and Jocelyn will tell you, I'll get on a plate in a hot second. Um, I am no, uh, I love to travel. Um, so for me, it's when I feel burnt out, when I feel overwhelmed, 
I will get on the plane and I will go in a second. Um, you know, last week we won break and I was beating myself up like the first two days because I didn't get out of bed until 10 o'clock. And I said, girl, that's what a break is. <laughs> like, but because we've been so programmed and because we've been so trained that if we're not doing something, we're not being productive and rest is productive because if we don't rest, we're not able to do those things and, and have passion and power and do the things that we love if we're not rested. Um, so yeah, for me, you know, going to get massages, um, going to get a good, going to get a good meal, um, getting in the bed and listening to some sad music and crying. Cause sometimes you just need to cry. Like it's nothing wrong with crying like this some nights. And I don't know why I'm in the bed crying, but I'm just in the bed crying because that's just how I was feeling. Um, and I, I am starting to give myself a lot of grace and being patient with me and, you know, living in each moment. You know, when I graduated with my master's in May of 2021, everybody was like, well, when are you going for your PhD? I said, like, can I just enjoy this moment right here? Like, I just, I just, I just, I just did one of the biggest things that I'm going to do for a while. I'm going to get, I got a master's and then turn around three months later and got a job. So I'm going to celebrate and enjoy this moment right here. Right. So you know, celebrating me, um, getting a good meal and not saying to not cheating myself. If I want a steak, I'm going to go get me a steak. If I want to drink a bottle of champagne, I'm going to drink me a bottle of champagne. If I want to buy me three pairs of sneakers, I'm going to buy me three pairs of sneakers. (laughs) So those are the things I have no kids. It's just me and I'm a single woman. So (laughs) I, I can be a little, a little, a little frivolous with my money right now. Um, so, yeah, so those are the things that I kind of do for me. Of course, you know, I meditate, I pray, um, I read my Bible. Right now, I'm actually going through um, this book called Setting um, Setting Boundaries. Um, it's a workbook. And so, like, I, it's um, I'm going, like, page by page. And it's like, you actually have to write down things that you need to set boundaries from. Um, setting boundaries from friends, setting boundaries from family, setting boundaries from um, you know, jobs, you know, just setting boundaries and setting boundaries in a, in a healthy way. So that's been really, really helpful for me right now in this season is setting healthy boundaries. Nat, have you done this book? Cause you were nodding, but if you haven't, have it sounds not. like you'd like. <laughs> it is. I was just going to ask her if she could, if you know the name of the, um, the book exactly and the author, that would be great. Hold on. I'm going <laughs> to because I just bought it for I bought it for myself as a Christmas gift. Gotcha. Um, so it's actually I know you not. I saw you not. <laughs> look, look at that. Like I want all the details. <laughs> yes. So the name of the book is the set ba- the set boundaries workbook. And it's practical exercises for understanding your needs and setting healthy boundaries. And it's by Nidra Glover Tawabe. I, I hope I'm saying her name correctly. If I'm not, please forgive me, sis. Um, and she's a, a licensed a social worker. Um, and so, yeah, she she has this workbook. She has a couple of other books that she has, but I'm going to work through this one first and see if I want to, you know, purchase some others. So, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's been some of the self-reflective work that I've, I've been doing. Um, on yeah. me. 
That's really dope. And I'm glad that you um, are prioritizing rest. Um, one thing I wanted to mention to kind of round out the episode, um, I'm going to do a quick shout out to one of my um, artist friends here in the Memphis area. Um, his name is uh, S.O. Tolson, but he goes by Cool Urban Hippie on Twitter. He had a tweet go viral right, right before the holidays around in November. And it says, I don't know who needs to hear this, but rest is not a reward. You don't have to earn rest. You need rest. You deserve rest. You are worthy. You are worthy of rest simply because you are a living being and don't ever feel guilty for taking time to rest. So go ahead and, and sleep till 10 and wake up and be fine because the world is not going to stop because you slept a little bit. Jasmine, I see you making faces. Yes. I'm about to say, sleep. come on with the word, honey. Come <laughs> on with the word for the people because yes, yes. We all needed to hear that. Mm-hmm. We need that. I also like that tweet. So <laughs> <laughs> yes but this was really dope yeah this was awesome and I I just want to I just want to say that like I know my cousin and I've known a lot of the work that she's done and when she got this job and she graduated with her master's like we cried on the phone together and I have never in my life heard Katrina say that she's been overwhelmed or have just been you know just drained from the work that she's done so Tanya when you say that you can like feel her passion like I feel it. I, I recognize that for her and with her and, and she's, she's a perfect person for this job. And Callie, thank you for coming and chatting with us and, and sharing your experience and sharing it with the others that will, that will listen and will hear it and will kind of, um, you know, learn from it and all these other things. And this has been great and it's, you're doing great work and and we appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. This is my first my first podcast uh, interview, so mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, this is this feels good. I, oh, this I like, is good, honey. You came with the, girl. the energy, honey. Right. <laughs> you came. So with I, I want to thank you, ladies, for having me. It was really great being on here with the B word, and this is a uh, really a uh, a great group of ladies. You know, so uh, I was I'm very happy to have been here tonight. Yes, we appreciate you. Yeah, I think that's all we have for today. Um, Thank you all for listening and catch us on the next one. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bread Takeover, hosted by Jocelyn, Tanya, and Natalie. Presented by Goodstock Consulting. Find out more about Goodstock at www.goodstockconsulting.com.